Hope you've had a good weekend and you enjoyed your Thanksgiving holiday. Ours was kind of quiet, like the older we get, the more laid back and chill it is, but we really enjoyed that and that's a lot of fun. A recent Michigan State University study found that 95% of people don't wash their hands long enough to effectively kill germs. Excuse me just a minute. Okay. Uh, that's 20 seconds of scrubbing with soap and water, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. We tell kids and adults to sing the happy birthday song twice, says Roshini Raj, medical doctor, attending physician at New, uh, New York University Medical Center. The average hand washing time is only about six seconds. So today I just went this morning. I just thought, you know, and I, and I realized, yeah, that's about right. That's about you just kind of do that and get in there. Um, what's more, 15% of men and 7% of women didn't wash their hands at all after using the restroom. Okay, we're gonna, yeah, that's a little weird. You know, that's that's that. We are a society obsessed with cleanliness. You think about all the things we do and all the, what we build into our lifestyle just to make sure we keep our hands clean, right? And we do that even here at Calvary. We're very conscientious about that. Check this out because this is, this is really like There's our... There's a lot of hand sanitizer in church. Anybody notice that? I don't know. At my church, they have these two hand sanitizer stations right by the front door greeters. That is not a good message. People come in on Sunday, how you doing? Nice to see you all. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming. You're going to love it here. We just love people. You can just be yourself. You can just be yourself. We don't care. We don't judge you. We just love. You sit back and whatever questions you have, you let us know. We'll let you know whatever we can do for you, okay? Y'all newly married? You got four kids? Four kids. That is amazing. God love. We love kids here. Kids are like a little gift from God is what they are. They are just wonderful little creatures that God gives us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where are y'all from? Arkansas? Okay. Well, that's us too. And some of you are really obsessed about that. And some of you moms are just, I'm, I don't know, I don't know. Your child's never going to have a germ. And I understand that because I used to be addicted, actually, to hand sanitizer. But, but it's okay. I'm clean now. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, today is the last lesson in our wash series. Some of you are just catching up to that. You're, oh, I, I see what he did. I get that. This is the last session in the wash series, and we're going to begin thinking about Christmas as we move into to the, that part of the holiday season. I'm looking forward to that and what God's going to teach us about grace and how grace was really on display in such a beautiful, powerful way during Christmas. But today we're going to be thinking about how we are not just physically washed, obviously. We've been kind of using that as a metaphor, but spiritually washed. How does God wash us spiritually? How do we stay clean? Well, I'm glad you're here. Turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 5. I'm going to read you two passages of Scripture that talk about that and deal with that. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25, and it begins, he's really talking about several different things all at once here. But he says, husbands, love your wives. 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church. There's your example and the model and the way you do that. And he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that she might be holy and without blemish. And he says in the same way, husbands, you ought to love your wives just like you love yourself. And, but, he, but he puts in that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, go to um, John chapter 15, and you'll see this idea, this thought echoed. In John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Both of these passages mention washing or cleansing by the word of God. And I don't know if you've ever looked at that closely or we just kind of read over that because uh, the ideas that we have of how we're washed or cleansed, but in both of these passages, and I just use these two, but there's several, several others that talk about the fact that we're washed by the word of God. We're forgiven when we begin to follow Jesus and that initiates, it sets into motion the sanctification process in our lives. Salvation, yes, is, a, is this one-time experience and it's this event where Christ comes into our life and where we're placed in Jesus. But really, that is the beginning. You know, last week we saw several folks baptized. That's the start of their Christian experience. It's not the end of things. I can remember talking to people uh, whom I was concerned about, especially about their salvation. I go, tell me, tell me about your salvation. Tell me, tell me, how can I know? And I'm not judging you. Just give me something um, that I might have an indication of whether you're a Christian. You know what? Um, one conversation in particular says, well, because I was baptized. And they go back to that baptismal experience. And I think, no, tell me about yesterday. Tell me about last week or last year and all the events. What's God been doing in your life from that moment? Whether for you it was as a child in your bedroom or in vacation Bible school or a youth camp or maybe as an adult on a retreat or whatever crisis or moment that led you to that salvation experience. What about? What about from then until now? We call that sanctification, that God is sanctifying us. He is continuing to work in and move through us and in our lives so that we would be more like God. And he continues that growth that takes place over a lifetime. So salvation and baptism, that's not the climax of our walk with God. That's just the beginning. That's the starting point. In Ephesians 5... 
he says that we are washed that he might sanctify. And that was kind of interesting to me. He said, you know, the, the husbands, you love your wives because here's what Jesus did. You know, he sanctifies the church with the washing of the word. That he might sanctify. Literally, that comes from the same word, agios, that is the word holy. And it's kind of a, that word set into motion. And he said what he's doing is he's, he's unfolding holiness in your life. He's making you holy. Literally is what that means. It means to cleanse or to purify us. Romans 15, 16 and other scriptures affirm that we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There's this powerful work of Jesus in me. And the word is what is used when um, a substance or an object is, maybe it's filthy or it's polluted and it needs to be purified or it needs to be sterilized. Then it goes through, in biblical language, sanctification. That's the cleansing uh, process of that. So when you put all your laundry in your washing machine and you turn it on, you're sanctifying your clothes, okay? That's kind of the word. That's what it means. In fact, if you flip that around and you take it in a negative way, you remember a few weeks ago when I talked about lepers and how when they have this disease of leprosy and they come up to a community or a village and they're walking up, and what is it they have to call out? Anybody remember what they have to say? As they come up to a group of people, they have to say, unclean, unclean. And they're announcing that because I have this disease, that I'm filthy and I can't, there's something about me that might pollute or contaminate or you. It may be contagious. So I have to tell you that I'm not sanctified, that I'm the opposite of that. I'm defiled by this disease and I, I need to be healed. I need to be made clean. Before Christ, before salvation, we're, we're tainted, we're, we're corrupted, we're dirty. Because of sin. And our depravity comes from both original sin that we inherited spiritually. And it also comes from these actual transgressions that we commit. Because there's not one of us in this room that can say, you know what? I maybe get the original thing. If you can sell me on that, okay. But the sin part, I've never really done that. I've never really sinned. I don't think anybody's going to step there, you know, and go, yeah, we know we have. We know we have. So how are we cleansed? We are washed by the word. The word of God is the instrument of cleansing. Titus 3, 5 says that our cleansing takes place at salvation. That you're immediately made clean and pure and righteous. Read the book of Romans. Read the book of Colossians. Read the book of Galatians. You are clean at salvation. You're something different. You're made New all over again. And I think that's what Jesus means uh, in that passage we just read in John 15 where he said, you are already clean by the word. He's telling his disciples, this isn't just like this thing you've got to do again and again. You're clean. You're already clean. And that happened because of the word. This, this word of God. Both passages say that it's the word that washes us clean. Sounds a little mysterious, right? And you can think, but what, what is that? What is he talking about? Well, the New Testament has several expressions for the word word. 
And I'm just going to mention this, and I'm almost kind of like taking myself off track, and then I'm going to bring you back on, okay? But I think this is a little bit important, for, especially for some of those who've been around church and been in the body of Christ for a while, and you've heard different teachers say different things. And uh, you can uh, have a conversation more about this with me later if you like. But there are two terms uh, there's about four terms for the word word, but there are two that really stand out and that are used the most often in the New Testament. One is the word logos, and that's pretty familiar. You know, a lot of Christians, you know, agape, and you know, logos. It's kind of like those of you who learn Spanish, you know, hola and adios and como esta. You know, you just kind of learn a few basic phrases. Well, a lot of Christians know a few basic Greek words, and that's one of the most common is logos, and it means word. The other word is rhema. It's translated as word too. But in our lifetime, at least in my experience as a Christian early on, a big deal was made about the difference uh, in, in these two words. Uh, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that difference is not as big as you may have been taught or thought about that. I'm going to really go further out on the limb and say a lot of what has been preached and taught and written is shoddy and lazy and careless Bible study and it's scrawny, thin, shallow theology. Logos is often used for the written word to express this is the Bible. You know, this is the logos of God. It's also used in reference of Jesus himself, that he's the word. He's the logos of God. And rhema is used, it literally means a word spoken. It's an expression of word. It's the, it's the talked about. It's as the words come alive. So sometimes people will teach that there's two layers to that. That there's the word of God, and it's kind of general. But then there's this specific, uh, that God, out of that, he... He goes beyond that. He'll impress you with feelings or he'll take his word and he'll bring up like a specific smaller part of that and that that's more special and that's more important and more powerful. And so sometimes we just discount regular Bible reading and regular Bible study and we go, yeah, that's kind of okay, but it's not as big a deal as getting a rhema from God. Now, I'm not saying that God can't speak to you specifically through a verse of scripture. He's done that so many times in my life. Or that he will use his word in particular ways to encourage you or to, to admonish you, to redeem you, to, you know, to work in your life. But I am going to say this. They're not this special, mysterious, you know, something about one use of this over another. And I know that's probably contradictory to a lot of what you've thought or thought about. So, and what I'll do is just let the word, you know, defend itself. Um, if you're, if you're a little skeptical and you're thinking, I've never been, I've always been taught that this is a special expression or utterance and that it, it kind of trumps, it's, it's a better, bigger, deeper word than just reading the Bible is. So do this, just go back and read scripture. You can do an eagle, easy uh, Google search or just use your own concordance in your Bible and, and just look up every time the word word is there and see for yourself that these are often interchangeable. Let me give you an example. For instance, in Matthew 4, 4, it says, you should not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
In Luke 138, a passage we'll probably look at sometime during the Christmas season, when Mary heard this message, you are going to have the Christ child, and what do you think about that? You know, And it's this big moment, it's this huge moment in her life, and really a turning point in our lives as well. And Mary answers and says, let it be according to your rhema. This spoken word I've just heard that I know is from the Lord. Uh, in Ephesians 6, 17, it says, Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema of God. It's the word of of God. Now, you may have looked at those and thought, wow, wouldn't have really thought that would have been the use of that. I kind of would have thought it would have gone the other way. Well, let me give you some examples of how Logos is used in passages. In John 1.1, this gospel uh, begins so different from the other three Gospels, and it's very distinct in that it doesn't go through the birth story, but it, it starts off with this majestic, poetic way of saying, you know, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Lagos, and the Lagos was with God, and the Lagos was God, and it's a reference to Jesus. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, we should study our, to show ourselves approved Uh, So that we could discern the logos of God, a reference to scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says that the logos of God is quick and powerful. We kind of get that, but do you begin to get the feel of where I'm going and and why I say that? And I kind of a little defensive about making too big a deal because they're very close. They're very similar. Whenever you see a specific word, one of the beautiful things about that original language, and why I've always thought that God chose that moment in history and that place and that time and the particular languages he did is because they can express a thought so, so accurately. You know, whereas English or, you know, so many other languages, we, we really can't do that. We kind of get the feel by lots of other indicators. But these languages were more specific. So that's just a personal thing, I think. But as we go forward, people like to find you know, this exclusive knowledge or information and kind of reveal that. Uh, so it may be that you grew up under teachers like uh, Kenneth Hagen. I'm just going to name names, okay? And who, you know, just said, oh, this is, and, and I've heard him teach on this and say, oh, yeah, this is the regular old word of God. And it's not that big. Here's the rhema of God. And there are whole ministries and churches that have built uh, their whole emphasis and their theology around this one word, this one word. Standing on the place where I am now, we had a gentleman, and I love and respect him. I have a cell phone number named Bill Gothard, and he taught uh, the same thing in a less charismatic way. But he talked about the fact that here's the general word of God, but then here's the special you know, revelation of God used in a more specific uh, way that comes through your feelings and these impressions, and that's a rhema. I'm just telling you to be a little careful about that um, because a rhema is not exactly a subjective illumination of the Bible. Like I said, these two words could be interchanged and it's a dangerous theology. And I'm just trying to teach and to share with you as your pastor. Um, you know, when 
When somebody tells you that one verse or passage can have lots of different meanings and applications for lots of different people in different circumstances, depending on the moment, that gets really shaky. You know, and, and uh, so you need to be careful about that. I mean, we've, we've all, oh, just, but then look at this. Yeah, I think that's talking about, no, 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 it's not. It's talking about that I should buy the red car that I saw yesterday. Or, no, the Lord showed me through this verse that I'm supposed to do this. Maybe he did. I'm not going to fuss with you about that. So, okay, but you know what? I doubt it. I just, I think the word is the word and it says what it says and it means what it means. And that's what you got to figure out is, God, what were you saying to the original audience? What is the application for me? There is a difference, however, in, 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 in scripture uses specific words to get across the exact idea and the meaning that God wants us to have. But your best plan your long term, the, the way this is going to work, uh, if you want to be spiritually healthy and for growth and maturity and especially for fruitfulness, and this is not going to be as glamorous or as exciting and you're not going to be able to speak up in small group tonight or we're not having it tonight, but say next week when your community group's together, say, oh yeah, God gave me a word, I got a word. I'm not going to say whether he did or not, but I'm, gonna, I'm still telling you to be really careful about that because... The best way for you to understand this is just consistent, steady, devoted reading and study of the Bible. Is there something in you that thinks, I don't want to, that just sounds tedious, or that doesn't sound all cool like some of my friends. I'm just going to say, yeah, I've been reading the Bible for a month, and here's what I figured out, and here's what God was saying, and so I'm just going to go in this direction because of this, the Bible just seems to, to over and again teach this. And so I'm not going to wait until I get the heebie-jeebies. I'm not going to wait until I get this all feeling about it before I follow through with that. It just says it, so I'm just going to go with that. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm teaching this morning. There's no secret magic formula or hidden trick. Okay, let me, let me get us, it's like I got off the exit ramp and just crossed over and I'm gonna get right back on the expressway, okay? Jesus assured his disciples, you're already clean. Jesus, again, he, you know, he, he used this same figure of speech when he was, uh, earlier when he washed the disciples' feet. And, uh, Somebody said, well, if this is going to clean me, don't just wash my feet. Just give me a bath. Just what Jesus, you, you don't really need that. I'm trying to make a point. You know, I'm trying to, trying to teach you something. This divine care of the Lord over us and this discipline that follows our salvation experience, uh, this, this granting of eternal life that God gives us, within that, Jesus did not want the 11 to conclude, as a lot of people do, that because there is an absence of fruit uh, or the presence of difficulties uh, indicates the absence of salvation. It's an indicator and it's an idea. If you look back over a year or 10 years or 20 years of your life and you think, well, I've been a believer for 30 years, for three decades, and there's zero fruit in your life, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to question that, but, I, but it's not up to me. 
I'm not going to judge that. The, the absence or the, even the production of fruitfulness because maybe you may, might be relying on that on the other side of things. You're saying, I'm really fruitful. Here's what all I've done today and well, I've done this. And you're just busy, busy, busy all the time. You've got all these accomplishments and think, I must be a Christian, right? Because look at all this. Look at everything. Look at my history. Look at my resume. No, you know what? I still, just like I can't judge you and say you're not over here because you don't, I can't reassure you that you are because you've done a lot of stuff. That's not, the, that's not the criteria. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his grace. And in this passage, uh, he's, he's not talking about whether you're saved or not. He's explaining the hows and the whys of, of what fruitfulness really is and how that works as a follower of his. His point, I think, is that it's contradictory, at the least, to, to, to be a Christian and not have a ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus and you say, I'm not connected to a local fellowship of like-minded believers, and I really don't have a ministry and there's really no fruit, that's a contradiction. A ministry is simply the overflow of being in Christ. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us that what we do comes out of, and, and it's there because of uh, whom we are. I mean, abiding in Christ is what produces the fruit in our lives. It's not mimicking, uh, you know, spiritual principles or imitating other Christians. No, he says, here's a, here's a great word picture. I'm the vine, and you're the branches. So I flow into your life, and then from your life comes this fruit. It's a beautiful picture. It's perfect. The difficulty that comes sometimes in your life, and I know it is, and I don't want you, if you're a new believer, don't think, wow, wow, I'm so glad I got saved. I'm not going to have any problems anymore and everything's going to be good now that I'm in Jesus. No, you're not going to have some of the same problems and the issues and things that bothered you that you did. But you are going to have some, some issues. There's going to be some things you've got to work through. That's what sanctification is about. And sometimes that even might be painful. And you think, but Lord, I love you, and I'm, I'm in Christ now. Why, why would you let this happen? And there may be moments where God says, let it happen. I'm not just letting it happen. I'm causing that to happen because I'm taking you to this new place, and I'm trying to refresh your life and take you deeper and make you stronger. That's what sanctification is. And it's not always going to be easy. I mean, we get that in the physical realm, right? Those of you who maybe try to to work out or to run or to get in shape or have you ever gone on a diet? Probably not right now. This is not the moment to try between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. Uh, but after Christmas, if you think, you know what, I'm gonna, I, I, I picked up a little, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop that off. It's gonna be real easy. I'm just not gonna eat sweets anymore. <laughs> How hard is that? It's like really hard, right? For some of you. Others can walk past the dessert plate, but it's carbs. And that's me. My wife's a sweet eater. I'm, I'm a car man. I just, 
oh, give me that. Yeah. And so that's really hard to say, yeah, I'll just have the salad with the light balsamic vinaigrette. And yeah, could you have some grilled chicken? And no bread, thank you, no bread. And uh, I, that's hard. Did you think it was going to be easy? You ever decide to get in shape and you, you get your shoes on, you stretch out and you get out there and you think, ah, oh, this feels good. And you run about a quarter of a mile and you think, man, this hurts. My legs hurt and my lungs are about to burst and I don't want to do this. And you go back home and turn the television back on, you know, and you, you think, well, that's too hard. Well, yeah, it's hard. It's just, that's the way. But the consistency of it. It's when you don't stop and when you continue to push forward and day after day, you, you make these, these little gains. Sometimes it's just invisible. I don't want to be simplistic, but in, in a lot of ways, that's how we grow spiritually, too. And if you're looking for these big jumps, if you're looking for a miracle diet, you know, and you've done those, right? We could write a book in our house. We've done them all. We've tried them all. And some of them work for a little while. But it's just the consistency. And that's the direction that I think the Lord wants you to go spiritually. If you're looking for some big experience, and, this, and sometimes those come. And I've been catapulted ahead just in a moment of time by by something that I was a part of or heard or saw or experienced or out of a crisis, how God came, came through. But mostly it's just this daily, consistent washing of the word, of the word. That's the process of sanctification. And it shouldn't undermine your salvation or your confidence about your salvation when you have good days or bad days. I don't, show you, I don't know how many of you do Operation Contact. I'm one of the vets around here, one of the old guys. I was here for the very first one. I think we got it from Texas A&M. Um, the college pastor was down there and thought, wow, I really like what they're doing. This is such an unusual thing where you go on campus and you help students move in and you kind of get to know them and you give them a familiar face in the city that, where they can come and visit if they want. But mostly the day is just about, hey, we're, we're not here for us. We're here for you. We're just going to help you to move in. But because we've been doing this for a long time, we've got a lot of Operation Contact shirts in our house. We've got several, all the additions and the designs. Uh, this is one that's Kathy's, I think, because, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't get in that. But uh, this is one of the older ones, and you probably can't see it from where you're, you're sitting, but do you notice it's just got a lot of stains all over? Because after a while, your shirt gets, you know, Joe buys these really cheap shirts. So, uh, you know, they get messed up and everything. So mine, after a while, that becomes my yard mowing shirt or my working on the car shirt. It looks like Kathy was painting in this one. It's got paint stains on the front and the back. How do you suppose? I don't know. She's got her own style. But, um, you know, so this one's it's a stained up shirt. So what we do is just go buy another shirt. Because those aren't coming out. That's how the stain got there. And so now we don't want to wear those shirts to up the next year's Operation Contact. The next year's going to be this big, victorious, winning year for UT, right? And so we want to show up fresh and clean. So we'll, we'll get a new shirt or we'll, we'll find the cleanest of the best. But, you know, we won't wear one that's stained up. 
God's forgiveness is so thorough and cleanses us so absolutely that he not only forgives us, but 1 John 1, 9 and 10 said he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. All the stains. There's no stains. I want you to see that. I want you to, 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 to feel that. Because we can get a lot of comfort in knowing that God forgives us to remove the stain of sin. Now your old habits, you know, and your old, that lifestyle, that flesh will try to try to pull you back. And then the enemy will whisper in, well, you're not the same. You're still dirty. You're still tainted. You're still, look at you. Now Jesus said, you're already clean. We're not talking about your cleanliness here. We're talking about your fruitfulness. We're talking about how do you move from this place where you are, where you're unstained now. You're not like this anymore. Some of you see yourselves or you see others through, through the eyes of the, and you think, well, yeah, I, I felt, st- I was still, I guess I still am. You're not anymore. I can tell you on the authority of God's word, you're not anymore. You're clean. You're clean. And you say, okay, that's not the issue. It's how do we stay clean? How do we keep moving forward in that? Okay, this is so simple that I don't want you to miss it because you do that spiritually in a very similar way that you do that physically. How do you stay clean physically? I don't know if you've ever traveled to other places, you know, maybe places where you weren't real sure about, say, the cleanliness of the water. I remember my grandparents used to live at a place, I think there, it was well water, and I think it was clean, but sometimes you turn on the tap, and, and I can remember them saying, you need to let it run for a little while, because it would be a different color, you know, it's coming out, and you stand there watching until it gets clear, and you think, okay, I guess it's good, now, I, I, we never got sick, now, I did get sick in Peru, in Arequipa, Peru, I was there once, and you know, everybody says, don't drink the water when you go certain places. And it's not, if you're from another country, it's not that one country is, sometimes it is, just because we have super filtration systems here, and we're just kind of manic about the cleanliness of our water. But the bacteria is just different. Our bacteria is different from other people's bacteria. I had a friend to come here from China, and he got sick on our water. And I'm like, our water's clean. He goes, yeah, because you're used to that bacteria, and I'm not. So the safe thing to do is just always have some clean water. We were in Eastern Europe once and staying in an old castle, actually in Transylvania. And I brought a water filter and filled up a bathtub, and I was pumping water out for everybody. We were filling up our water bottles and containers so we could brush our teeth and be clean because we needed to have it cleansed. We needed the water to be sanctified. I was in Peru. I was so careful about that. But the mistake I made is I went to a restaurant and I had a salad that was washed in unfiltered water. And I got sick. You ever been sick from bacteria? Have you ever been sick from bacteria and gotten on an airplane And you've got to be sick in this much space with two tiny little restrooms at the back of the plane and you're surrounded by a hundred or more other people. It's miserable. But we get that, right? 
And as I tell those little snippets of stories, so somebody, you know, you can, you can, oh yeah, I remember one time and I got food poisoning, I got this or I ate that and I got sick. We all kind of get how that works in the physical world. And that's why we use so much hand sanitizer and why we drink bottled water. And, you know, we, we're so careful about that. When I was a boy, I can remember coming in from playing ball or being out in the woods. And what's the first thing your mom would say to you? Right, we're about to eat. Go wash your hands. That's just wired into us. It's automatic. And what I'm hoping will be the outcome of today's message is that just like you get that and you don't even hesitate physically, that you would apply that spiritually that you would allow the Lord to work in your spiritual system in the same way physically because we can't handle bacteria. These principles apply and we've been contaminated by sin and we're spiritually sick and he washes us with his word and he purifies this sin illness until we're healed and then he keeps us by the washing of his word he cleanses us and he heals us again and again consistently this is one of my favorite bibles it's one of my bigger ones but I, I love this bible this is probably my favorite, uh, it, and that's such a preachery looking Bible. I mean, it's a thin line, I think, but it's black. I mean, boy, look at that. That is just, I'm going to do a funeral or something. This is one, this is baby, this is one I'm taking. And when I travel, sometimes I take this one because it's really nice and it's just compact. I read scripture on my phone and on my iPad and on my computer. There's nothing wrong with that. The word is the word is the word, and that's okay. What I'm encouraging you to do is find a way that works for you to get scripture inside and to begin to understand how to apply it. I'm going to take it one step further. I love my electronic versions and I read often. I was trying to think if I could say every day. I don't know every day, but maybe every day from my phone or from you know your tablet, your Kindle, whatever it is you have, and that's okay. This part, you just got to give me a little indulgence here, okay? Give me a little space. There's something, and maybe it's just my generation, there's something about a Bible Bible. You can take this for what it's worth, but I'm going to encourage you to get a Bible. There are about a dozen good versions out there. <laughs> I looked online. You can find a Bible for 7 or $8. Or you can spend up to $400, $500 on one. All different kinds of materials and versions and colors, sizes. I'm going to encourage you to get a Bible kind of become friends with it. I've got way too many, okay? Some of you guys, you rednecks, you've got so many guns, 
You've got so many golf clubs. You've got so many fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. I'm a Bible geek. I've got a lot of Bibles. But you ought to get one that you, you like. Spend a little extra. You do when you get other things. When you buy a new phone or whatever, you spend all kinds of money. You know what? Stretch out. Get a really good Bible. If you want to call me or email me and tell me your preferences, I'll give you some suggestions because, like I said, I'm really geeky about it. And I would say keep it on your nightstand or in your backpack, in your room somewhere. I'm even going to encourage you to bring it to church with you. I was in a church in Atlanta. It's a very contemporary church, Passion City, uh, where Louis Giglio was a pastor. And I looked around, and I was surprised at how many students and 20-somethings had Bibles, had real Bibles with them. And I commented the guy next to me because we stood out. I mean, we're, every time we go there, we are like the old people in the room. <laughs> and I said something about that. He goes, yeah, it's kind of retro. We're, we're, we're carrying Bibles now. Get a Bible and, and just, and I'm not going to, you know, if you walk in and you think, hey, Dan, I didn't get a Bible. I'm just going to use my phone. It's free and it's there. That's okay. I'm just, just encouraging you to make the Bible a part of your daily life. Get a Bible reading plan. Get a devotional. If you go to Version and just download that app or you go to the local Christian bookstore, go to Lifeway or Cedar Springs, there are so many devotional books and there's so much. I mean, and you can do that. I, I read Utmost for His Highest. I'm almost, you know, with the first year of being the first year that I've read it uninterrupted, that I've, I haven't missed one day. And that's, you know what, that's the big deal. It's just one page. I know. <laughs> but for me, that's amazing. And I read that along with scripture. And yeah, you see what I'm trying to get you to do is just to spend a little time. And just like you, you're not going to sit down except for on Thanksgiving and, and eat like four meals in one meal. You don't have to read the whole Bible cover to cover every time. I make a cup of coffee. I sit down and I just read a little every morning. But it's nourishment. Guys, it's cleansing. It's the washing with the word that God wants to do in our lives. I had written down, I told Kevin, I said, I wrote down this question. Well, how often do you take a bath or a shower? And I thought, man, that maybe that might, some of you might say, yeah, just, well, it is Sunday. Yeah. But hopefully it's often. <laughs> how often do you brush your teeth? Oh, every week or two. Yeah, it is Tennessee. Probably most of you, you bathe every day or a couple of times a day or every other day. I'm trying to give you some space. And you brush your teeth, hopefully, every day. And that's how often you take a look at God's Word. I don't have to convince you in other ways. And this is not to earn our salvation, but it's a result of our salvation. And I want God, I want to know Him better and I want to be sanctified and I want to be washed. That's what he does. So here's the, um, here's the call to action. Here's, here's the plan. Today, as we sing this last song together, I'm going to make a commitment. God, your word is going to be a part of my life every day. 
You're going to make sure it's there, just like soap and water, just like hand sanitizer, just like clean water. But that's a part of my life every day. I don't have to think about it. I'm going to incorporate your word into my life every day so that it's a part of my lifestyle. So that through that, through the washing of your word, you can sanctify me. If you would make that commitment with me, you can come forward and pray. You may think, you know what, I never really read my Bible. I, I talked to a guy on the stairway out here one day, and he said, the only time I reach for my Bible is on Sunday morning. He said, now bring it with me. And I kind of look at whatever you're saying, but then I put it away, and I don't look at it again. He goes, I'm just telling you, Pastor, I don't, I don't ever read it. And he's having a lot of personal problems. I said, you know what, let's start there. Just start reading it. And just, just start reading it. Get a Bible, or use an electronic version, but make a commitment. God, your word's going to be a part of my life every day, as best I can. And I'm going to let you flow through me and in me and wash me with that. Like I said, you can do that. You can make that commitment right where you are. Um, you can come forward. I started doing this even before I really knew the Lord. I just got curious. I just got interested because of a friend and I knew he's getting all his information from the Bible. I'm like, where are you getting this? So I found a Bible at my mom's house. It was way up on a shelf in the hall closet. And I, I got it down and I just started reading it. And I just, my whole world began to change. As he began to wash me with the word. It's a powerful thing. Would you stand and let's sing together. And let's make this affirmation. Give God that place to wash us with His Word. Just as I am without one plea, but that Thy blood was shed for me, and that Thou bidst me. Dear Father, I, I think of, uh, as I was just praying and, and meditating, Lord, just uh, how when you called Joshua out to lead Israel when Moses died, you said, do not let.
this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it every day, day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Lord, here was a man that was getting ready to lead your people, and one of the major things you needed to speak to him about was making sure that the word of God was, was, was close to him. So, Lord, may we make a decision today. Lord, nobody can make it for us, but to be faithful of, of, of just embracing your word, Lord. Thank you for each person here, God. Thank you for the time to worship. Thank you for our pastor and his faithfulness to declare the word of God. As we go out, may we, may we be your missionaries. May we love people well this week. And when they say, well, why do you care? May we just be quick to tell them because you loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a terrific day.